Our gospel reading comes from Luke chapter 24, 36 through uh, 48. Uh, this is Luke's uh, rendition of the resurrection. We're going to hear his encountering the disciples in a, um, after the resurrection, of course, and um, their reaction to it. So the words will be on the screen this morning. Uh, follow along with me as I read uh, Luke's account of Christ encountering the disciples after the resurrection. While they were saying these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. They were terrified and afraid. They thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, why are you startled? Why are doubts arising in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. It's really me. Touch me and see, for a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones like you see that I have. As he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, because they were wondering and questioning in the midst of their happiness. He said to them, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of baked fish. Taking it, he ate it in front of them. Jesus said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law from Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He said to them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And change of heart and life for the forgiveness of sins must be preached in his name to all the nations. Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses to these things. Look, I am sending you to do what my father has promised. But you are to stay in the city until you have been furnished with the heavenly power through the Holy Spirit. This is the written word of the Lord. So what Jesus is essentially asking here is the disciples, you have imagined Moses and the law and the prophets one way, but now I need you to imagine the law and the prophets and Moses through my testimony, through my life, through my death, and through my resurrection. Jesus is really asking for the disciples to keep and remain in wonder. Imagine all of the scriptures through Jesus. So Jesus then is asking for us to have him be the filters through which we read the Bible, through which we see each other, through which we hear each other, through which we understand our own hearts. Jesus wants to be the eyes and the ears that we encounter the whole world. But that's easier said than done, isn't it? We really like to feel like we know how things work, amen? We really like to be certain about things. What's right and what's wrong, how people should look and act if they want to contribute to society, how people should be treated if they don't look and act the way that we think they should. And obviously, life is for the living, and dead people stay dead. But Jesus is really good at defying all of those expectations. Thanks be to God. Now, these sermon illustrations here, you're going to think that I am uh, sponsored by Disney, but I'm not. I just, I feel like Disney is really one of the more relatable uh, narratives out there um, that we're all aware. You're all aware of who this is, right? Hunchback of Notre Dame, Quasimodo. Well, I have brought four four uh, different 
uh, Disney films today. These are all people that are big and scary. Wreck-It Ralph is probably my favorite out of all four of these because he is in, he is the villain of an arcade. His whole life is just to destroy good things. And he doesn't want to be a bad guy anymore. He goes to Bad Guys Anonymous and he's like, hi, I'm Wreck-It Ralph. I'm a bad guy. And they're like, hi, Ralph, right? Because he doesn't want to be a villain anymore. He wants to be a good guy. He wants to be the hero for once. And he's just so misunderstood. He has to be a villain. He can't be anything else in his arcade. He has to be a villain. But each one of these stories flips that paradigm on its end. You see, Quasimodo is looked at and downplayed simply because of how he looks. People are scared of him, and so they push him to the side. They actually isolate him into a, a great big cathedral where he has to ring the bells out of sight from everyone. He doesn't fit the expectations of what people should look and act like in society. The sad part about this is if, if enough people think this way, that people should act and look a certain way, we end up as an entire society marginalizing people like Quasimodo without really getting to know the kind of people that they really are. And the Hunchback of Notre Dame is a kind, caring, loving person, but no one took the time to know that simply because of outward appearances. And the funny thing about Monsters, Inc. is I loved how all the monsters were actually more scared of the kids than the kids were of the monsters <laughs> in the whole movie. They were more scared of the kids than the kids were of them. And it was when they actually got to know each other and laughed together that they found that there was nothing really to fear between them. And they worked together in community. And, and really, that's what it comes down to. It comes down to fear. We fear what we don't understand. You see, fear isn't just initial reactions. We can have a, a, an initial reaction of fear to something or someone, but fear actually builds whole categories and structures for people in our minds. It creates baskets for certain people to be put in. We have a scary basket over here and a natural basket over here. We have a, a basket for people that we need to avoid over here. And we have all of these baskets that fear gives us that we can put people in if they are outside of our expectations or what we consider to be normal. That person looks scary. Put them in the scary basket. That person fits the description of a troublemaker. Put them in the troublemaker basket. That person fits the description of a criminal. Put them in the criminal basket. That person dresses too masculine or too feminine. Put them in the unnatural basket. Who sets the standards for these baskets? Who sets the standards for these descriptions? The description of a criminal or unnatural that we are using in our own minds. How much does fear actually play in how we view the world around us? A lot, I think. I am guilty of that just as much as anyone else. Fear can influence the way that I see the world around me. Fear creates perspectives, and then those perspectives creates more fear. So it's a vicious cycle. And guess what? We do that with God too, right? We can become terrified just like the disciples were in our passage today because the way God enters our situations are not often the ways that we expect or imagine. I don't think Moses expected a burning bush. 
I don't think Israel expected a pillar of fire. I don't think the disciples expected Jesus to hang out with the people that he did. And I really don't think they expected him from, to rise from the dead. It was an unexpected set of circumstances. But when we, when we encounter something that we don't expect, what do we do? When you encounter something that you don't understand, we immediately stop and start trying to make sense of it, right? Or am I the only one? When I encounter something I don't understand, I stop and try to make sense of it. Oftentimes, to my, my, my wife's dismay, I take a long time to make a decision. When I don't understand something, I stop and take forever to make a decision. You can ask Rebecca all about it. She's nodding her head. I won't even look. It's true. Obviously, if you saw someone you knew who was dead now standing in front of you, you jump back, stop, and try to figure it out, right? I know I would get scared like the disciples did, looking at a person who was dead hanging on the cross, still covered in the wounds of death, who just appeared in front of me. I would be terrified too. I think we all would. We would look for meaning like the disciples did. What is going on? We'd say, well, I must be either going insane or it's a ghost. There, those seem to be the two logical categories of what's happening here. Even though Jesus predicted it over and over and over again, resurrection didn't seem to come to mind for the disciples. And you know what, friends? I don't think it would come to our mind so easily either. People don't just come out of their tombs. <laughs> People don't just rise from the dead. If Jesus appeared to us right now, I think we often assume that we would just all agree immediately that it's Jesus. All of us would be in agreement. Oh, that's Jesus standing in our midst. As if when we saw him, we would just have full assurance in our hearts and our minds that it was Jesus without any doubt, any shadow of doubt in our minds. And we would totally believe in every word that he said. Friends, I don't think that we would. I don't think it's an immediate certainty like that. This isn't what we see in the Bible, especially after the resurrection. Jesus appears to many people who didn't recognize him right away. Mary thought he was a gardener. Disciples thought that he was a ghost. He appeared to many other disciples, like the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And it takes a long journey, walking with him for at least eight miles, and even a meal before they recognized who they were talking to. Luke tells us that on the road to Emmaus, he is a stranger to them. And we all know what to do with strangers, right? Stranger danger. Again, those categories are marked and shaped by fear. There's an element of strangeness and even terror when the disciples encounter the risen Lord and they don't know who he is. It is not an immediate awareness or realization. It is a slow and sometimes unsettling opening of our minds. And I think it's that way for us too. I love learning things, but sometimes I don't like to be challenged. And I think that's the way for all of us. If it, We love to learn new information, and it gives us more of a sense of the world. But when, when our sense of reality is challenged, we can sometimes, it's hard for us to open our minds to be accepting of those challenges, right? 
We can push back. We can step back. We can try to avoid. But really what Jesus is trying to do is saying, I'm challenging your conception of reality. I was dead and now I am alive. That's the greatest shift in reality that I think we can ever imagine. Jesus chooses to be recognized through the scriptures. Jesus is recognized when, the, when they comprehend his death and resurrection. Jesus is recognized when they invite this stranger in for a meal after their long journey. And he breaks bread with them as he did the night before he died. Jesus chooses to be recognized in acts of hospitality and communion. Jesus chooses to be recognized when we study the scriptures and build up one another. Jesus chooses to be recognized through the death and resurrection. So my question for us today, how are we expecting the risen Lord to interact with us today? Are we looking for Jesus only in the places that we find comfortable and familiar? Are we expecting that we should just immediately recognize Jesus when he is at work in front of us in our daily lives? Or are we willing to lean into those areas of our lives that kind of make us uncomfortable, maybe even a little scared to see if Jesus might be there? Are we willing to expect the unexpected when it comes to Jesus? Are we willing to look for the risen Lord in both the places that bring us joy and the places that terrify us? I've realized something different this Easter, Easter 2021. Something that I haven't realized before. Let's say you called a friend and you were just talking about their plans of an upcoming holiday. And they said that they were getting ready for a party for this holiday. And they're making a cake that looks like a spooky little graveyard. Planning to tell some spooky ghost stories about dead people coming back to life. And they said that they were getting scared already just thinking about having all their friends over for this holiday. What holiday would you think that they were preparing for? Halloween, right? Well, as I was reading the Easter story, it seems to be, when we look in Scripture, Easter has a lot more in common with that holiday than bunnies and Easter eggs and candy. There's graveyards and ghost stories and the dead coming back to life, and everyone is scared. woo but that is precisely what we are supposed to grab hold on in Christ's resurrection. It is the places where we only expect death, despair, decay, and sorrow that our risen Lord shows up to speak life, peace, and joy. It is the last place that we would expect Jesus that is oftentimes the first place he meets us there. The first place that Jesus meets us is often the last place that we would expect him to be. The risen Lord in the midst of an empty tomb in a haunted graveyard. Jesus shows up to the disciples, meets them in their fear, and the first thing he says is, peace be with you assures them that he's not a ghost. He tells them that he is flesh and bone, and they are. They, he, then he even eats fish to prove it because ghosts don't eat stuff. Coming back from the dead isn't just for ghosts anymore. 
It is the risen Lord who has taken the victory of death and turned it into eternal life. That is powerful. And you know what? The disciples believing that Jesus is a ghost, it's silly, right? But at the same time, we do silly things when we're fearful. We make really dumb decisions sometimes. We mistreat ourselves and each other. But Jesus didn't respond by making fun of what they believed in, right? He actually proved it to them. He's like, look, I'm flesh and bone. Touch me. You can't touch ghosts. You go right through ghosts, right? So, so touch me. Give me something to eat. I'm, I'm not really hungry, but I'll eat something to show you that I'm a real life and blood person. Jesus doesn't condemn them for their unbelief, but goes the extra mile to show that he is the one that they have been waiting for. That's a lesson to us all. When we encounter silly beliefs, oftentimes it's because people are scared. And guess what? I still have silly beliefs, and I'm a pastor. So if anyone, we should have grace as God's people for the things that people believe in. Amen? Amen. One of my favorite verses in this passage that we read today was verses 40 and 41. He shows them his hands and feet and says, because they were wondering and questioning in the midst of their happiness. Verse 41. They were wondering and questioning in the midst of their happiness. You notice the shift there? The very beginning, it says, he said to them, why are you startled? Why are, you, why are doubts arising in your heart? You see that shift? They were wondering and questioning in their fear at the beginning. Doubts were raising in their hearts, and they were scared. But they were also wondering and questioning in their happiness. Incredible. The disciples really do give us a good witness here that in their fear and terror, they were doubting and questioning. And in their happiness, they were questioning and wondering. That, that means that questioning should always be a component of our faith, whether we are terrified or happy. Whether we are filled with joy or filled with sorrow, we need to maintain a heart of wonder. We need to maintain a heart of curiosity. Let the wonder of God lead us to ask good questions. Let the wonder of God lead us to ask good questions. Expectations keep us from being curious. Expectations keep us from being caught up in wonder. Expectations can keep us from being stuck by the profound reality of our king. I'm sorry, not stuck. Expectations can keep us from being struck by the profound reality of our king rising from the dead. In our personal graveyards, in all the ways that we are haunted by grief of our past, Christ meets us there to speak peace, joy, and revelation of life. But if we don't remain open to wonder and curiosity to the scriptures, to hospitality, to communion, to each other, expecting the unexpected, Jesus will remain kind of a stranger to us. And we may still be on the road where Jesus is walking with us, trying and working to open our minds to the deep reality that he's at work right in front of us. And then we'll have, that's when those aha moments come about. You'll be reading the same scripture you have for years, and all of a sudden, the Lord is able to open your mind because you're able to approach it with newfound wonder and curiosity, right? 
One of the central doctrines of Christianity is God never changes. We hear that all the time, right? God never changes. And while that is deeply true to what we believe, it's easy to use that doctrine as a way to justify not being curious about God anymore. God never changes can often be code for Christians as I've got it all figured out. And guess what? It doesn't change. I have it figured out. It doesn't change. I'm done. I have it. I'm all certain. I, my faith is complete. I really don't need to work on this anymore because God never changes. My interpretation of the scriptures never changed. <laughs> my, my ideas of each other, that never changes. God never changes, so neither do I. Right? Anyone see problematic with that? Anybody see a problem with that way of seeing things? In the Bible, God worked through a burn, burning bush, never did that again. Worked through a pillar of fire, pillar of smoke, never did that again. A bronze snake, a covenant, laws, kings, becoming human, living, dying, and rising from the dead, ascending into heaven, ruling on high. That's a God that doesn't stay put. This isn't a God who stays put and lines up with exactly what we expect. Imagine trying to live this life if we always expected that God was going to work through a burning bush and never anything else. That is a God that doesn't, that keeps things fresh. We cannot allow our belief that God never changes to make us stop believing that God is up to new things. Isaiah says, behold, I am doing a new thing, right? God is creating. God is redeeming. God is restoring, even in the places and among the people that scare us the most and that we least expect the most for God to do something new. Yes, God never changes, but how does God not change? God never changes in steadfast love. God never changes in meeting humanity right where God needs to be. It was a burning bush for Moses. It was a prophet Nathan for King David. It was the resurrected, scarred, nailed hands of Jesus for the disciples. How will those nail-scarred hands show up for us today in ways that we just don't expect? Are we curious and open for who and where the risen Lord will be and show up today for us. I want to challenge you this week to look for Jesus in places that you find unsettling. I want you to look for the risen Lord in the places of your life where you are haunted by grief and sorrow. I want you to expect to find Jesus actively at work with the people who you don't like the people you've already put in those baskets of unnatural, of, of avoiding, or of bad. I want you to look for how the risen Lord is actively at work in their lives because you know what, friends? He is. There is not a single person that you've locked eyes with in this world that God is not at work in their life. The Holy Spirit is there beckoning and calling, and we need to be a people who recognize Jesus in their lives. Always be looking for God in their lives. You will find Jesus standing there, offering you peace and joy, even in the things you don't yet understand, journeying along with you along the way. Let the risen Lord define your expectations. Don't let your expectations define the risen Lord, because they are never big enough. Let me pray for us this morning. Risen Lord, 
we ask that we would be a curious people. Lord, the, the world should know us by our love for them. And love requires us to be at wonder. Wonder with you and wonder with the creation around us. Wonder with every person that's created in your image that we encounter. Lord God, curiosity brings about more capacity for a deeper love because love is endless. It's never ending. Just as we see with you and your faithfulness, Lord God, there's no end to your love. So there should be no end to our desire to know and love the creation around us, to seek its best in your love. So, Lord God, make us a people of curiosity and wonder, anticipating your peace and your joy, but not putting our stark expectations on things, but waiting to be struck by the awe of the risen Lord. We declare with a loud voice that he is risen. He is risen indeed. We give you thanks for the reality of the resurrection. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Hey, we're so glad you found our sermon podcast and we pray that this was a place of hope, healing, and peace for you today. If you'd like to financially support the staff and ministries of our church, we've made it really easy for you to do so. On our podcast page, you should see a button that says support, where you can set up reoccurring giving at 99 cents a month, $4.99 a month, or $9.99 a month. Or if you're interested in giving more, head on over to our website at euclidnaz.org slash donate. Thank you so much for supporting the mission of Euclid. We really do believe that the difference we can make for the kingdom is greater when we do it together. Blessings to you today, friends.